Breaking the silence. Breaking the cycle. This is episode 20 of the Domestic Abuse Projects podcast. On location at DAP's new headquarters for an update on Domestic Abuse Project with Director of Client Services, Amithany Keefe. Hello and welcome to the Domestic Abuse Project podcast. Ryan Garza here from Nonpod, the nonprofit podcast community. Um, here at Domestic Abuse Project in Minneapolis, and I'm here with... I'm Anthony Keefe, Director of Client Services. So, Anthony, welcome back. So, it's it's been about a year, uh, maybe a little a little more, uh, since our last episode. Um, so, I'm really excited to be here, um, and, and in effect, relaunching uh, the Domestic Abuse Project podcast. What's funny? Last time uh, you were you were actually the guest. We were interviewing you uh, last time, and uh, now you've kind of become the co-host. So, funny how things change. Um, but uh, well, first of all, what can you tell people who are maybe just being introduced um, to the Domestic Abuse Project uh, right now um, as, as, uh, as an organization? Sure. So we serve roughly 3,000 people per year, and we have about five programs that stem from establishing safety and stability to providing in-depth um, therapy services for folks that either have witnessed abuse, have experienced domestic violence themselves, or folks that have used violence in the home. That's right. And so, um, so to, to kind of um, focus on that for a second, just, just as, as we go on here um, throughout um, you know, our next uh, series of episodes, um, it's important to, to point out something that, that, that you just said. So in, in domestic abuse, um, there, are, there, are, there are basically three sort of participants, right? So there's always uh, the, the person uh, who's experienced the abuse. Um, there's also the person uh, who, uh, I guess, uses abuse in the relationship. And there's also the witness who, who tends to be, um, uh, small children in the home. Um, and that's sort of a, a part of the puzzle that sometimes gets left out of the equation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, it's the population that we feel like has the most potential for, um, stopping intergenerational transmission of violence, and they're the most affected. So folks, when you th- talk about the cycle of violence and what's going on in the home, um, children are usually, and pets are at the center of that, and they're sometimes forgotten victims of domestic violence. Yeah, and so, you know, we also want to point out, so the, the last uh, episode that we did, we um, so that was... Uh, that was technically it was a reintroduction to the domestic abuse project uh, podcast, and that was like I said, it's it's been a little while. Um, we actually did did a pretty good job, I think. I actually just went back recently and listened to that whole whole episode, so I encourage people to go back and and uh, and take a listen for themselves. We did a pretty good job at at uh, sort of establishing uh, the history of domestic abuse project, um, also um, sort of giving your background, talking about kind of how you got uh, to domestic abuse project and into doing this work. Um, but as far as like the the services that DAP provides and the specific um, sort of areas of advocacy that DAP is involved in, um, those things have, have changed quite a bit o- over the last year and really over the last several years. Um, and, you know, along with uh, serving the entire family like DAP does, um, you know, that, that makes DAP unique. The other thing that makes them really unique that, that really kind of drew me to DAP in the first place was that, you know, you're always changing and always innovating and always looking at those sort of cutting edge approaches. Um, which is why there, there have been so many changes over the last number of years or so, uh, which I'm really excited to talk about. Um, so maybe we can start with just sort of talking about some of those big changes that have happened uh, over over the last year or so since you've been involved um, with the organization. And uh, then we'll probably take a little break and we'll get uh, we'll, we'll get back on the other side and, and talk a little bit more in depth about each of, of these sort of components of DAP that have sort of evolved over the, over the last year or so. Yeah. 
So I would say from a like administrative perspective, uh, we've had a lot of structural changes um, from change in leadership. So we have a new executive director. Her name is Annie Van Avery, and she hails from a previous directorship in Seattle, um, working with LGBTQ families. Um, to now coming to the Domestic Abuse Project. And she has been an innovative leader. She's been really grounding for us. Um, She has a wonderful circular leadership style and uh, is really all about helping everyone in the organization uh, look at and be able to lean into their personal leadership styles and skills. So that's been really wonderful um, to have her. And she's really changed some of the the culture and the tenor of being here. And so that's been an amazing change. Um, We also um, have shifted our space. And so we moved from a really small house um, on the corner of Franklin um, and Pillsbury in South Minneapolis to um, an art warehouse building in Northeast Minneapolis. So the structure of our space has really shifted and there's clients that love it and there's clients that hate it. Um, And we're all adjusting, but it's, we're really feeling grounded and settled in our space. We've been here for uh, several months now um, and are enjoying some of the changes. I chuckled a little bit when you said circular leadership. So we're in a new space at the the old place. It was actually, so we're in the large group room right now um, at the the old place. It was actually the large group room was actually a circular room. Yes, it was. Yeah, it's funny. We have a thing with circles here at DEF. So those are two big changes. Uh, We've had other little changes with switching over different systems that we use, switching over to a voiceover IP. We're getting very um, advanced in our technology here. Um, And so with that, there are really cool things and some bumps that we're navigating, Um, but a lot of different administrative changes for the organization. Um, As far as our programming and things like that go, I will say part of our uh, strategic plan, one tenant of that was transformational care. Another is... um, looking at our programming and the way that our organization is structured to ensure that it's anti-racist, anti-oppressive. And we've really done a lot of work under both of those tenants. So really building partnerships with different organizations so that we can bring in uh, models of healing that are outside of talk therapy and moving away from a traditional stance to making sure that we're incorporating um, aspects of healing that are more culturally grounded for the clients that we work with. And uh, from a race equity perspective, doing a lot of work internally as um, program staff, reflecting on our power and privilege that we hold and how that impacts the way that we engage with each other and the way that we engage with our clients um, and how that impacts their engagement with systems. And so we've really started from the ground up in doing our own individual work, doing our collective work as an organization, and now looking to um, bring in experts and move towards um, looking at our programs as whole and what this looks like for us in partnerships and in how we engage with systems and how we engage with the community um, as a as one entity. Wow, there's that innovation that I just love about you guys. So, um, you know, you did mention the, the the strategic plan, right? And so, probably throw back to a few episodes ago, um, where we actually talked about that um, in in depth. And so, um, it's been you know some time since that original strategic plan was was implemented. Um, maybe just catch people up on on that a little bit. I mean, some of the the components of that strategic plan are probably like 
well now in full swing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we, the other two pillars of our strategic plan were financial um, sustainability and a new space. So I will say the new space is definitively done. <laughs> Check mark. That's right. Absolutely. So we're in our new space. We've transitioned. We're done with that. Um, from financial viability and sustainability perspective, that's really looking at the different ways that we are um, engaging in community funding um, and what our our budget looks like and to ensure that we have diverse funders. Um, so that part of that is Annie's role as the new executive director. We also have a new development director named Sarah Drever. And so it's their role to really work together to think about what that's going to look like in our future. Um, and so building new partnerships with different foundations, building in and thinking about how much um, donor investment that we want to have in our programs, what kind of grants we go for, and what that, how that's tied to the race equity work is also really thinking about um, who we get funding from, what kind of funding we're looking for, with the understanding that all money isn't good money and that we really want to make sure that what we're going for is um, driven by the mission and by the communities that we're serving. So that is something that is absolutely in play and something that we're going to continue to reflect on and is a tenant that we'll continue to work on after the strategic plan is is done. And the other two tenants, I will say, is that we're like in the middle of um, doing our race equity work. That is something that we're trying to rope into the fabric of our organization. So it's not just a checkbox that we're working in cultural competency this year, um, but that we're building the foundation for that being a bedrock of our programs moving forward, uh, as well as transformational care. And so aside from maybe the things that were a part of that strategic plan, um, you know, things always sort of happen that are outside of the plan, no matter what you're doing. What, what are maybe a couple of things that have happened, you know, over this last year or so that um, maybe that weren't expected or maybe that, are, that have just sort of evolved um, sort of out of a certain need that, that DAP saw and uh, that, that needed to be addressed and they've just gone for it because, again, that's how you guys roll. Yeah, Um, I would say um, in our men's program, one big change is um, that we have shifted the way that our program functions. Um, It previously was separated into two parts. So individuals that have used abusive behavior would call our our first call line. We would set them up for an orientation. They would come in for orientation, go into an education component that was 12 weeks. Um, After that was completed, there was sometimes a gap. And what we realized is in the last few months, there was a pretty good a big gap um, before they'd be able to start their second tier of programming, which was 12 weeks of process. And so what we learned was that um, there was a bottleneck, clients were slipping through the cracks, clients were not being able to be served within the time frame that was necessary for probation. And so there were system impacts for our clients that were waiting to complete their programming. Because um, we should point out that so oftentimes uh, the people involved in the programs at DAP who have used abuse are, are there by like court order or something, right? Absolutely. So about 90% of our clients that are in our men's program are court ordered through probation. So very systems involved and there's really big consequences if there is a lag in services. So our team met and there's a lot of advocacy on our men's team to be able to shift the program in order to meet the need of the community and also to build the quality of services that we're providing. So we've switched to a hybrid model that mimics our men's program change step group, which is that you start with one provider and you're with them for the full 24 weeks. You're with the same cohort for 24 weeks. Um, and there isn't that middle gap where you might end up taking a significant 
break. Um, what ha- this has led to is stronger relationships between the clients that are in group and the facilitator, stronger relationships between group members within the same group because they're not switching halfway through. And the depth of work that we can do with somebody seems to be deepening because we've built this trusting relationship in the first 12 weeks and they're not then switching to someone else and starting over. Um, but we can keep going and go a little deeper with someone um, because we we get to hang on to them longer. That's, that is fantastic. I'm really excited to hear more about that. Um, and, you know, especially because, you know, one thing that we've established too, uh, you know, all along uh, throughout the podcast is this, is this holistic approach. Um, so we'll throw that buzzword in there just to sort of refresh people's memories, right? Um, that, that's really sort of the, the basis of everything that DAP does. And, and, you know, I think to me, like personally not knowing anything academically about domestic, I, I just make the podcast, right? Um, to, to me, like, you know, it, it seems like, you know, being able to innovate and being able to sort of like experiment with the latest technology and methods um, is important because um, especially like with with the men's program, right, where that that alone is kind of a cutting edge sort of like, you know, field of, of advocacy. Um, each of those pieces, you know, whether it's serving uh, the people who use abuse, the people who have uh, experienced abuse or those witnesses, um, it's all sort of part of that larger sort of um, system of, of advocacy that ends up um, affecting every member of the family, which is, you know, why it's so important that, you know, all of these, uh, all of these pieces are in place. Um, it takes a lot of people and it takes a lot of uh, investment from the community. Um, it takes a lot of funds. Like you said, that's one of the, the parts of the strategic plan. Um, and it really takes a lot of, um, a lot of contributions for a lot of different areas to make, to make all these things happen. So, um, so with that said, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to take a little deeper dive into some of the stuff that we just talked about. Um, some of the ways that, you know, DAP has changed over the last year or so. Um, we're also going to talk about, um, you know, the, the new and improved podcast, some of the things we want to accomplish, uh, with the podcast, uh, give people kind of an overview about how the podcast is going to, um, work going forward here. Um, and since we're here with the director of client services slash co-host <laughs> now, um, we're going to talk about, you know, the specific areas of programming. Like I said, they're kind of the three main groups, but then there are like several sort of uh, subgroups within those three areas um, and kind of talk about what's changed with each of them and sort of like what stayed the same, sort of those kind of uh, core fundamentals of each program uh, that haven't changed, but how things have evolved since then. Um, And then talk about, just sort of give people an idea about what's going to be coming up on the podcast um, as far as like uh, the curriculum, uh, which we mentioned in the last episode is going to be changing uh, quite a bit from how it started out. So with that, we're going to take a quick little break. Uh, We'll be right back. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, Mithy, thank you for listening to uh, the Domestic Abuse Project podcast. We'll be right back. And welcome back to the Domestic Abuse Project Podcast. Ryan here with Mithany Daps, uh, Director of Client Services. So, uh, so Mithany, we were going to talk a little bit uh, about the podcast, first of all, um, and what we wanted to uh, accomplish uh, with it and, and kind of how it's going to be structured um, over the next um, series of episodes for, for, for the time going forward. Yeah, so there's about four different ways that we are going to focus the podcast. The first is looking at curriculum. So looking at different topics of education that we might cover 
um, in our groups for folks that use abusive behaviors and our folks for victim survivors and in our folk in our groups with children that have witnessed DV. Yeah, and this is going to be a really good way to kind of like roll up our sleeves and take take a deep dive into some of these topics. Um, what's, what's, what's interesting to me is that like, so with these episodes, like they've been some of our most popular episodes, which kind of led me uh, to the conclusion that like a lot of practitioners are actually like listening in. Yes, and in the community, when you're going through schooling for um, becoming a a marriage and family therapist or a social worker, um, there often isn't a heavy focus on domestic violence, even though when you're working with couples or even individuals, that's something that we know impacts many people in the community. So this is a way for us to be able to share the information that we know. Yeah. So that Often the latest and greatest sort of, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So that folks can become more educated and aware of what domestic violence looks like. Yeah. This is also a great uh, sort of excuse to sort of bring in some of the staff from <laughs> Domestic Abuse Project, sort of introduce uh, the community to all of these, you know, I've heard them superheroes, right? The, the actual, um, you know, therapists and, and people that are in, in the in the trenches every day sort of making this work happen. Yes. And the folks that are figuring out how to adapt different educational pieces so that anybody can pick it up and understand it and digest it. Yeah. So that is one uh, area of focus. Another is on location um, recordings of the podcast where um, Ryan might be going out to different events that we're holding in the community and be able to talk to community members about their connection to DAP and their connection to domestic violence in general. Yeah, like so, we've covered the um, the the luncheon in the past. Um, we've also there've also been other events kind of held by community members. So we'll be, we'll be doing some of that as well. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And then the stories of hope. So we're really talking with clients that have been through our programming before, who are sharing their journey through experiencing domestic violence, um, to experiencing healing and reconnecting with um, their own identity and sense of who they want to be. Yeah. These these have also been some of the most uh, most popular, most powerful um, episodes. I think just sort of like. To me, like, it, you know, as, as a podcast artist, I guess, if that's a thing, um, to me, those have been sort of some of the most rewarding episodes to be able to make. I mean, to be able to really what happens is just um, having someone share their story and sort of us taking ourselves out of it and just really kind of um, creating that that narrative of like someone sharing that like usually really personal, really intimate story um, with people. So th those are always really, uh, really, really well received. I think what we know too as healers is that when you're working in a group context as a facilitator, I might say something, but that's not going to carry the same weight as it would if you were hearing that same story from someone who's had the same type of experience that you've had. So for the victim survivors that are out there, for folks that use abusive behavior but don't quite know how to stop or feel like that might not be possible for them, for them to hear a story directly from someone who has done the same thing, walked the same walk, and to know that they can land in a different place holds so much more power than hearing that same story from me. Yeah, you know, and if we could talk about this for just a second too. So, you know, there, there's been some kind of discussion around um, you know, using sort of people, quote unquote, using people's stories of, of healing um, in sort of the the promotion of the work, I guess, uh, that the Domestic Abuse Project does. And, you know, there, there's been some discussion around it. And kind of what, what we've decided is that, you know, as long as it's, it's approached in a certain way, um, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of been decided that it can be overall beneficial to the community. We've also, you talked about sort of that healing component. Um, sharing sharing your story of success can, can be really powerful, um, can be a really powerful tool and outlet for, for some people. I agree. I think folks don't necessarily always um, believe in their own capacity and don't think that they have something important to share. But when they tell their story, 
it helps integrate their own experience for themselves and um, they can see the importance of what they've accomplished and in, in another person's reflection of who they are so being able to have other people hear your story and connect with it and believe that that holds value is another way for our clients to really be able to see the importance of what they've done um, and to be able to see the depths of their own capacity. Yeah. Also, as you know, as as people who are, who are doing this work, um, you know, I've I've talked to, I mean, even outside of the DV, um, you know, space, it seems like people who are out there being, you know, healers, being, um, you know, educators that are that are passionate about any any area of sort of the nonprofit space, it it, it tends to be those success stories that those, um, you know, finding out how you know that that little bit of work that 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 they've done. Um, has made a huge difference in people's lives that, you know, in, in really, let's, let's be honest, in, in, a, in a part of the world, in a space uh, that, you know, where people are often sort of like, you know, the, the cliche overworked, underpaid, you know, unappreciated. Um, it's, it's those stories of success and, and the ways that they've made a difference um, that, that can really keep a lot of the people, um, you know, that are in this work going. Um, you know, we also want to mention too, throw back to, you know, that another piece of the puzzle that that gets missed is that um, you know therapists and the people that work one on one with the people who have experienced abuse. I mean, they're they're affected, um, you know, by you know by the work that they do um, as well. So any any way that we that we can help um, those practitioners like realize um, you know the outcome of the work that they do is always a good thing. Yeah, I think it's really hard when you are sitting with somebody and you're really invested in their growth and change and you want something. Like as a therapist, I absolutely have goals for all of my clients and I know exactly what trajectory I want them to move down. Um, And that is rarely the reality. Um, But the work can be really hard for the client and for the facilitator. And so being able to hear a story of success can help give us hope for that client that's really struggling. And it can... um, help us hang on to them a little bit longer and help us stay invested and motivated and innovative a little bit longer so that we can hopefully get them over that barrier so that they can keep moving forward in their life and reach the goals that they've set for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to those, uh, to those episodes as well. Um, and then, so we have, so another kind of, of, of episode that we're, that we're adding in to the new sort of format of, of the podcast. And let, let me talk about that a little bit. Sure, that's a community focus. So um, in the time that I've been at DAP, um, something that's come up repeatedly is that DAP is a 40-year-old almost organization, and we're well-established. We have really um, good relationships with a lot of people um, in the city and through probation, and we're at the table where we get to have conversations with folks that have the power to actually make change. So essentially like big and old is kind of the, kind of the way it's been characterized. And with that comes a lot of, uh, a lot of privilege and a lot of access um, that not all of, the, all of the organizations that are out there doing the same kind of work have. That's right. And so what we want to do is use the platforms that we have, such as this podcast, to be able to showcase and highlight other organizations that are doing amazing work in the organ- in the community that we collaborate with or that we know of and utilize and refer clients to, um, but give them a platform to be able to showcase the work that they're doing um, and partner with them in this way using this privileged platform that we have um, 
but being able to showcase and be equitable around um, highlighting other organizations that are doing equally amazing work. Yeah, which is really, which is uh, another thing that's really cool is that oftentimes like these sort of smaller kind of sub-community organizations, oftentimes they're like, uh, like led or, you know, like uh, founded by former DAP like staff members or uh, victim survivors or other people that have been involved uh, in DAP uh, in some way. So they, they really are an extension of domestic abuse project in some ways. So, you know, anyway, we can lift up those voices and, and those sort of like smaller communities within the domestic violence community is, is always uh, great as well. That's right. Uh, we really want to be able to showcase the voices of folks that are doing amazing work and that have had a connection to us in the past, or um, we know that a lot of small organizations are really driven by passionate people who are impacted by the issue that they're um, hoping to change or shift. And so they unfortunately don't always have the resources or the connections to be able to um, promote their organization or the work that they're doing in the way that we can. And so we want to be able to partner with them um, and help them lift their own voice. Awesome. And so, you know, we did say that, you know, there've been some changes, um, you know, over the last year or so um, and, and beyond, and that includes changes with the actual areas of programming. And so we thought we'd talk to you a little bit about um, some of the things that have changed um, and some of the things, sort of the, the fundamentals that, that, that have stayed the same um, and you don't see changing uh, anytime soon. Uh, I know, for example, like within the last couple of years, uh, the, the birth to three program has kind of really taken off. Uh, there was like a young men's program, uh, that has started. There's some, some ways that the, the different areas of programming have been developing over the last couple of years. Um, maybe we can kind of talk, talk about that, um, before we kind of get into what we'll be talking about uh, more specifically on the podcast. So we have, um, three types of programming. Um, and the model that we follow is Judith Herman's model of healing. And really it's three tiered. And so the first level is safety and stability and our case management and our advocacy programs really are um, coming in and providing services that are helping folks who are attempting to flee or to reach safety, establish that through legal services and obtaining an order for protection or a harassment restraining order. Um, and case management helps with basic resources that are needed, such as housing, clothing, um, shelter, um, access to food, things like that, that you might lose if you suddenly left your home and were without. Um, the next tier is really doing in-depth um, reflection around your trauma. And so that's our therapy arm. And in our therapy program, we have a program again for individuals that use abusive behaviors, for victim survivors, and for child witnesses. Um, and then the last tier is reconnection and socialization. And that is um, really met through aftercare programming, which we offer periodically for folks that have been through our programs, if they want to re-up or if they um, just want to reconnect with DAP and with the education that we provide um, so that they can keep um, living the life that they want to live for themselves. Um, through our therapy programs, um, one of the newer programs is our early childhood program. And so that's offering child parent psychotherapy, which is a dyad or it's doing therapy with a child that's birth to five um, with their caregiver. And so you might have uh, bio parents that are both involved and they're the ones that are coming in. You might have a child that's in the foster care system and maybe you're doing this therapy with their bio parent and with their foster caregiver. Um, there's lots of different ways that we might work with a child and with the 
people that are significant to them at that time. But studies really show that early intervention um, yields the most positive results for preventing domestic violence in the future. And so that's why we really want to invest in child witnesses and in our young folks who have um, seen domestic violence and maybe experienced themselves at a young age, um, because we know that that will have the best impact of ending domestic violence long run, long term. Um, our other programs, as you mentioned, is the young men's program. And so that's something that's been on and off for us. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a program that we really are passionate about and really want to invest in. And unfortunately, sometimes the resources aren't there to keep it going. And so that program is for young men who have used abusive behaviors. Um, and we predominantly were got referrals through probation in the courts. Um, that's something that we stopped doing for a bit, but because of a need um, that has been recently identified, we're going to be starting it up again this summer um, while we continue to actively seek funding to make it a sustainable long-term program for us. Our other things that we're looking into um, with the women's program is um, trying to build connections with folks within the prison system so that we can um, long-term look at partnering with um, Shakopee Women's Prison or with other folks that are um, working with folks in the prisons so that we can hopefully start doing programming while folks are there because they have the capacity to do it. and correct me if I'm wrong. I think I, I want to say like I've read a stat somewhere that like certain percentage of women uh, who are in the prison system have experienced abuse at some time, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I want to say I want to say like I saw some statistics somewhere. Again, just to reiterate to people, like <laughs> I am by no means an academic expert on any of this stuff, but but yeah, I know. So that, that that's fantastic. It's another uh, program where where things are kind of developing. Yes, and I would say anecdotally, I would believe that that percentage would be really high. Um, I also think that there's folks that might be in the prison system who have been both victim survivors and have also used abusive behaviors, and so it would be great for us to be able to. Um, be able to partner with the prison systems to do some education and some therapy work around that so that when they leave, that's not something they have to do because they've done their work while they're in the prison system. Yeah. You know, I just want to say, you know, personally too, I think something that that's worth reiterating here too. And I, I want to say, we've talked about this on the podcast before, um, you know, oftentimes like going after that funding uh, to provide services for uh, the people who have used abuse um, can, can tend to be a tough, a tough sell. I mean, I personally don't envy those development people having to go after those resources, but but it is a really important part of of the work uh, that DAP does, um, and that all the work that's done in the in the DV space. Um, like, what why do you think, uh, sort of, given the history of sort of uh, the domestic violence uh, workspace, that you know that that is such such a hard sell sometimes. I think providing services to individuals that use abusive behavior is part of what makes DAP innovative. Um, And that was what made us innovative when we first started 40 years ago. Um, I think part of the difficulty is that folks don't want to give funding to to individuals that are doing something that they perceive as wrong. Yeah, and if you want to think about that 40 years, I mean, there, I mean, things have changed certainly since then, but a lot of, a lot of the thought back then was like lock them up and throw away the key kind of thing. Right? Absolutely. And so the investment was on victim survivors and that is a place where we should invest because victim survivors deserve space for healing so they can reconnect with themselves. They can figure out, um, what has drawn them to certain relationships, what keeps them in certain relationships, how they can build the resources and the things that they need to be able to successfully and safely leave um, and to reconnect with the people that they actually feel 
is true to who they are. And so healing is is vital and important for our community to be able to move forward. Um, but only investing in victim survivors creates the impetus that the responsibility for change lies on victim survivors instead of the individuals that are using abusive behaviors themselves. So what we know is that if you work with someone who uses abusive behaviors and you're able to challenge and shift core beliefs, then the likelihood of that getting passed on from generation to generation diminishes over time. And so by investing in individuals that use abusive behaviors long-term, there would be a higher chance of ending domestic violence in our community. And the other thing too that I think is important to reiterate is that um, oftentimes people you know, may, who maybe haven't experienced maybe domestic uh, abuse in, in their home, maybe firsthand, um, aren't, aren't always really aware of, of the fact that really at the end of the day, domestic abuse like affects everyone. It's been described as like a public health problem um, because, you know, the, the, the issues associated with domestic abuse just ripple and ripple and ripple um, throughout the broader um, community. And, you know, if we really are all in this together and we are contributing to sort of make a better place for us to live and to work and our families to be, um, that to me would be like a pretty big selling point um, when trying to bring people on um, with helping to heal the entire family. Absolutely. So we know that one in three, one in four women are impacted by domestic violence and that it doesn't discriminate. And so it doesn't matter what your religion is, what your culture is, what your race or ethnicity is. Um, it is something that is present in all communities. And by having the community invest in shifting this, then we have the capacity to end what we do believe is a public health issue and has lots of different collateral impacts. So we call it public health because we say, you know, people think domestic violence is physical violence only and that that looks like broken bones. It looks like a bruised eye. Um, also, it's, it's something that happens in someone's home and it's done by business. What yes. happens in there, it's, you know. Absolutely. Yes, and it, it, yep, it's not a community issue. It's an individual family's private issue. Um, but we know that it impacts public health. We know that it impacts like um, people's long-term health issues. It, we know that it impacts education. We know that it has uh, long-term impacts on how the community itself is structured. And so what we believe is that by ending domestic violence, we can have this larger connection to the overall health of the communities that we're living in. And so, you know, that's that's just a little bit. I mean, that, that even that was was just sort of a high level overview of uh, some of the areas uh, of programming that that DAP uh, provides uh, to the community. And again, it's always changing and evolving and growing. Um, and we're going to keep on top of that with the podcast. Um, we also want to talk about the specific cu curriculum. So, I think like towards the end of the last episode, we talked about how uh, even at that time, the curriculum was in, in the, the 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 process of sort of being rewritten and. Um, and that that was going to be uh, we were going to be rolling that out over the next several episodes. Well, well here we are. It's been been a little while, but um, but even even since then things have changed. So we wanted to talk about some of the topics that we're going to be talking about on the podcast. Um, things we'll, we'll be we'll be kind of rehashing some of the same ground that we went uh, over uh, several years ago when we started the podcast. So we want to kind of touch on. Uh, some of the reasons that we might be um, going over something again, uh, as we, we mentioned several times, DAP is always sort of investing in the latest, um, you know, research and um, 
certain ideas about certain topics that, that we've covered in the past have, have changed and grown um, and evolved. So uh, we did want to talk a little bit about uh, the actual curriculum coming up on the podcast. Yeah, so part of our strategic plan was to look at our programs to ensure that they are anti-racist, anti-oppressive. And so part of the thinking of that was to go through all of our program manuals, bring in a community of experts to kind of rip it apart um, and look at it from both a clinical content perspective. So are we using innovative practices? Are there ways that we can incorporate healing modalities that are culturally specific um, and that might help us get to more depth in folks' reflection around the work that they're doing, as well as, in general, looking at our programming and thinking about what are we missing? What are the gaps in conversations that we need to be having um, in order to help folks really identify ways that they're engaging in abusive behavior um, and understand why why they do what they do? Like, what really drives us and what are our core beliefs that... Um, make us feel like this is the way to engage in a relationship. That's right. And so I know one of the one of the areas that we were going to kind of readdress was that that whole culture of origin topic. Absolutely. So right now, culture of origin really focuses on gender stereotypes. So like what is normal behavior or what is stereotypical behavior for a male versus a female? Um, and what does society really drive us to believe about what it means to be a male or a female? Um, and so coming in as a new person and looking at culture of origin, I really thought culture of origin would be talking about something else, which would be what aspects of your family culture or what aspects of your ethnic culture might shape your core beliefs around how you engage in a relationship and maybe also how your gender roles are really identified and um, grounded in your reality. So a new topic might be really looking at um, folks' family culture and their ethnic culture and how their core beliefs are really shared by the teachings from those two um, environments and experiences around domestic violence. We're also going to be talking about, um, you know, some some of the some of the topics that that uh, that we've that we've been over before, um, including like the cycle of violence, which you know that's maybe one of the more kind of fundamental core components of the work that DAP does. That that um, maybe the research and, and the the thought around uh, that particular topic um, hasn't maybe changed a whole lot um, in in recent years. But you know, we did want because it's such an important part of of what we'll be talking about and the work that DAP does. We wanted to probably touch on that again, and 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 there were a couple other ones that we wanted to, to talk about as well. Um, I think something else that's that's new that we'd love to talk about is epigenetics and how. Um trauma really gets passed on from generation to generation and how that's not just something that's emotionally passed on, but it's something that's wrapped around your DNA. Um, and what's included in that is also historical trauma and how that impacts domestic violence. So thinking specifically about the African-American community, which is a large portion of folks that are in our um, program for folks that use abusive behaviors, like really thinking about the historical trauma around racism and uh, slavery and how that might impact domestic violence in present day time. And then just a couple other topics that, that we'll probably be talking about. Um, compelling reasons why women stay, um, talking about safety planning, talking about the effects of domestic violence on children. Uh, we were hoping to have a specific episode around military families and uh, around our Change Step group. 
Um, we also were going to invite someone from the Little Earth community to talk about Native-specific um, issues around domestic violence and services that are available in our community. And I know we also wanted to talk uh, a little bit more about the the men's program than, than we have in the past. We wanted to uh, focus specifically on like uh, a new sort of self-control plan um, that has been sort of evolving uh, recently here at DAP as well. I think something that we've incorporated more is looking at body-based healing and treatment and um, wanting to bring in a guest to talk about somatic experiencing as a way to build more knowledge around what happens in the body when you're triggered by an event, um, when your threat response is activated, um, and also how to build knowledge and um, capacity around shifting what's happening in your body, um, which helps you feel a greater sense of control. You also mentioned the, the Change Step program, which which you just said about how um, sort of figuring out how certain triggers can um, influence behavior sometimes. Uh, just maybe we'll, we'll talk about the Change Step program for, for a second. So this was originally created for veterans who um, are essentially spend a long time in a certain culture uh, that hypervigilance was kind of one of the words that was used, right? So maybe we can just talk about that uh, for a second as well, because like you said, we'll, we'll be definitely exploring that in a, on an upcoming episode. Yeah, so our Change Step program was created in around 2010, 2013. And um, it was around the time where there was a lot of studies that were being done around domestic violence because folks were returning and there was a lot of different um, military activity in our history. Um, and what was found was among uh, military veterans, domestic violence was over 100 times more likely um, because of what they were experiencing and coming back after being gone for long periods of time, after being trained in a really specific way, and then having to reintegrate into civilian life was complicated. And so we created our Change Step program so that it specifically addresses aspects of military culture, um, experiences that military service members are having when they're either getting trained or when they're going abroad, um, and aspects of your core beliefs that are really shaped based off of your military training. Um, and so by incorporating those experiences and by creating space for talking about military-specific trauma, um, we're able to address domestic violence with that specific subset of folks um, by really looking at them holistically, not just as individuals in the community, but by individuals that have also had this really specific experience of um, serving. Yeah, and, and this is just me personally. Um, you know, I know... It, it's been my observation, I guess, that whenever there's, you know, a, a war, a military conflict or something going on, it seems like, um, you know, the needs of veterans are kind of always sort of in, in the forefront. And like I said, it's been my observation that when there isn't like a, a conflict uh, happening at, at any specific time, it seems like sometimes uh, those needs that veterans have um, can kind of sort of fade into the background a little bit. And, and so t for me, Personally, I'm really excited to uh, to make sure that that we give uh, that veteran community who long after the conflict, long after the war is over, still deal with things like PTSD and some of these these triggers that you sort of referred to um, that that we're really giving them, uh, you know, the attention and the space that they deserve. Yeah, I would say, you know, it could be small things like um a family event, everyone might be really excited for them to be able to, it's a holiday, everyone wants to see each other. Um, but that might ex be experienced by a, by a military veteran as too many people 
um, not enough control, not enough awareness of where the exits are, cannot like a lack of ability to establish safety. They're experiencing hypervigilance and then they get easily triggered by something that might seem really minor um, because for them, it's the context that they see is really different than the context that everybody else sees. Um, and understandably, as civilians, we don't have the context that they do because we didn't go through their military training or have their experience. And so having a group where they can connect again with people who have walked the same walk that they have um, really yields for a much more successful um, and depthful experience. Excellent. I'm really looking forward to talking to uh, talking more about that. So uh, that is, uh, you know, some of the, the stuff that we're going to be talking about. Um, some of the the topics we're going to cover. Some of the um, some of the episodes that 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 will be coming up here um, over the the next uh, year or so of the podcast. Um, so we're going to go and take a quick little break. Then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about some things that are coming up at DAP here in in the near future. Um, and uh, we'll also make sure people know about the best way to connect with DAP and the, the different ways that they can get involved. So uh, thank you for listening to the Domestic Abuse Project podcast. We will be right back. to the domestic abuse project podcast so that was kind of like a re re overview introduction thing um about the the new and improved domestic abuse project podcast um so before we go um i just wanted to ask you you know personally like what what is you know maybe one or what are one or two things that that you're most excited about um you know for for the future of domestic abuse project and, and maybe some things that you're really excited uh, to be able to accomplish with with the podcast yeah i think Something for me is doing the race equity work around domestic violence that DAP has been involved in. So one example is we have been utilizing a newer model, an innovative model for doing reflection around race equity called recovering from white conditioning and white supremacy. And so that's a 12-step model that is built off of the AA model that our entire staff have been committed to doing for a 12-week period of time. And so we're just on the tail end of that, and our leadership team is about to um, begin their 12 weeks, but it's been an in-depth way for us as staff to um, both white-bodied staff and staff of color and indigenous staff to reflect on ways that we are conditioned um, based off of one narrative and how that really has impacted the way that we work, the way that systems in the world are structured, and the ways that we engage with one another on a day-to-day basis. And so that has been both a painful and a really enlightening process that we've been through as an organization. And so I'm really excited for us to continue to build off of that work and to move into um, like outside of, we're going to continue to reflect as individuals and as a community at DAP, but to really move into a space of thinking about how our policies are structured, how our program and curriculum are structured, um, and how we can really shift the way that we engage in domestic violence work with this lens to race equity. 
Sounds awesome. So, so lastly, we also want to put a couple of things maybe on people's radar, uh, things that are coming up on the, on the, the calendar for Domestic Beast Project over the next uh, couple of months uh, throughout the rest of this year here. Yeah, so we will be having an event with Love Conquers Violence, which is an organization that we have had a long relationship Nick with. Nick and Shelly. That's right. <laughs> we love Nick and Shelly. And they have their own story and connection to domestic violence that really um, was what led to the creation of their organization. Um, they're wonderful people and they do wonderful work. And they have been partnered with us for a very long time. And they're going to have an event called Bags for Nat um, that will be at the Herkimer at the end of August. Um, and so more more information about that can be found on our website and on our Facebook page. And then again, the mention of our 40 year gala that will be in October. Usually lunch, but this year a gala. That's right. Uh, but we're really excited about having a lot of folks that have historically been connected to the organization come back to be able to really honor the history of all of the staff that have worked here, um, the different thought leaders that helped put our curriculum together and helped build the philosophy and the foundation of the organization. And to really thank all of our partners that have um, worked with us and collaborated with us and continue to hang in there with us as we have evolved and innovated and continue to try to work towards our mission to end domestic violence. I can't wait. That is sure to be an incredible event. I'm not going to miss it for sure. So, um, and then of course, you know, what's, what's the best way just to remind people uh, what's, what's the best way to connect uh, and interact with, with DAP and find out about um, all the ways they can contribute and volunteer uh, opportunities, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so if you're interested in connecting with us and just seeing what we're up to, I would check out our Facebook page. If you're interested in learning more about our services, who we are, people that we're partnering with, and um, interested in volunteers, which we are always looking for volunteers for lots of different things, please free feel free to uh, check us out on our we're recording this live at DAP, just so everybody knows. <laughs> yeah, check us out on our website, which is domesticabuseproject.org. Um, and our volunteer coordinator is Megan Ray. So M-R-A-E at M-N-D-A-P.org. Awesome. Thank you again. Amithany, it's been great to, to talk to you. It's been a while, but uh, hopefully it won't be uh, you know this long between episodes again. I, I promise it won't. So uh, no, really excited to, uh, to be relaunching uh, the podcast um, and uh, really excited to the work that we're going to accomplish here uh, together uh, throughout the next number of episodes. So thanks again, Mithany, and um, thank you all for listening to the Domestic Abuse Project, and um, we'll see you next time. The Domestic Abuse Project podcast is a production of Nonpod, the nonprofit podcast community, and the Domestic Abuse Project. Subscribe now on iTunes, on Android, or by email at daptpodcast.org. Because we're in this together. Nonpod turns your email newsletter, blog, or video content into a more powerful, more personal, more intimate, on-demand listening experience. Your podcast. Your story. Your voice. Simplified. Amplified. Learn more now at nonpod.com. Nonpod.